may have a personal definition of technology. What is it to you, and how can we define it before we start this conversation so we sort of have a common point? I guess for me, technology is the tools that we use to help scale up our capabilities. And we think about the history of them in terms of mechanical technologies, uh, things like even the printing press or here in Detroit, the automation systems that we use to build uh, an industry. Increasingly, my focus has been on digital technologies, the ability to connect us across the globe using the Internet uh, and the ability to use algorithmic systems to make sense of a large quantity of data that is now part of our everyday lives. And we call you an expert in technology. How did you earn that title? Part of it is I grew up online. I was the first generation of kids who found the Internet as a place to escape my local community growing up in Pennsylvania and I wanted to build the things that I saw. So I went to study computer science and started building online communities. And as those communities became more and more popular, they turned into what we now think of as social media. And I had the strange position to be able to build huge chunks of social media. At the same time, I was trying to make sense of people's use of them. And because I was building tools like blogging services while using them to comment on it, all of a sudden I got labeled an expert in this process. Uh, for me, it's a matter of that I've always been a user and a builder, and I try to marry those in a way that help people make sense of the world around them. So you mentioned yourself uh, growing up on technology online, and you have been a bit of an expert and an author and done research related to how teens use technology. So I want, I'm going to ask you two questions at a time here. One is, sort of what are the big findings of that research, but also how are how teens you've te used technology the same or different than adults of different generations? So let's start with the first one and your research and into teens and those findings. Right. So I started my work on teens, I guess technically in 2004. And at the time, there were so many concerns about you know kids these days and how the internet was going to harm them in different ways. Uh, and it, it was a rhetoric that we've seen across all forms of media landscape. Uh, so early days of comic books, even the early days of the sewing machine prompted moral panics of different forms. And so I wanted to really understand what teenagers were doing and why their use of technology made sense in their lives. Perhaps the most notable finding was that young people had uh, been experiencing more and more restrictions in mobility. Their ability to just get home uh, and socialize with their friends, to hang out, to have unstructured time, to go wherever they please had pretty much been decimated. And so they picked up technology as a way to socialize with their peers, to hang out, to relax. Uh, and I wanted to be able to share their experiences uh, and their realities back with parents who were often looking at these technologies as this tool that was radically changing youth. The funny thing that I kept coming back to is that the Internet mirrored and magnified the good, bad, and ugly of everyday life. And for teenagers, that meant that we saw everything from, you know, gossiping and flirting to, you know, moments of, of frustration and conflict all boiling into these technologies. And so back to my second part of my very long question a minute ago, but that is how an adult's use of technology and communication platforms online, how are we now the same or different than those teenagers? So I think... You know, over the course of history, we have, uh, as adults, have gotten a lot busier, a lot of expectations. We have the ability to be connected to our work, to our peers in complicated ways as well. And 
one of the things that's that's hard, especially for kids to understand, is that as parents, we have this pressure to be uh, the good parent, to be constantly present, but we're not actually always so good at living up to that you know, ideal. And I think that was one of the things I kept seeing with regard to the relationship between young people and adults, which is that adults were often more likely to use technology to escape the present, not be at the football game, but instead be in their phone, uh, not paying attention to their kid because they were exhausted and they didn't, they weren't really prepared to be the good parent. And I joke that, you know, my mother's generation, you know, picked up a glass of wine and this generation picks up an iPhone. You're listening to Detroit Today on WDET. That's 1019 FM and WDET.org online. And if you are listening on our podcast, thanks for downloading us. I'm Sandra Swoboda, and I'm in studio with Dana Boyd. She's an expert on how technology is affecting our lives, and she's been in Detroit as part of the Future of Information series, which is sponsored by the Community Foundation for Southeast Michigan and the Knight Foundation. So, Dana, I want to ask you, you're here uh, for your speech. Kind of uh, one of the topics that you're touching on is about society, technology, and how technology is affecting community. Can you speak a little more about that? So many of the people who are building technology, you know, digital technologies, especially in the 80s um, and early 90s, imagined that this would allow people from around the globe to come together and create community online, and that we could use technology to bridge all sorts of social divides. 20 years on, we're questioning that very basic idea. And part of what we're seeing is that most people who have approached technology um, in order to reinforce the relationships that they already have, in order to connect with people that are like them, and often in opposition to people who disagree with them. The idea that they can get information from any community doesn't mean that they want information that contradicts their worldview. And so we see this dynamic of confirmation bias. And in a moment of high politicized polarization, there's a huge challenge around technology where rather than being a tool that allows us to connect and try to understand one another, we're seeing us pull on the information ecosystem in ways that allow us to double down on our differences. Um, And unfortunately, we're also seeing a whole variety of folks manipulate these uh, information you know, ecosystems in order to I- increase that division. And so a lot of what I'm coming back to and asking a question around is how do we rebuild community in an environment where we have such significant fragmentation? And how do we rebuild that community with maybe less inequality? Is that what you mean as well? And how does the inequality online compared to economic inequality we see in the world or financial inequality, educational inequality, all of those other other problems? For me, inequality is very much married to the social networks and social fabric that we need to build um, our society. When we have you know, rampant inequality, whether it is things that we can measure or whether it is perceived, you see it within the social divisions of the actual social network, of the fabric of society. And so that those divisions actually get reinforced by the inequality and the inequality gets reinforced by the social structures, which is one of the reasons why com- the key to building community is to bridge those social relations and with it the economic and opportun- opportunity that we care so much about. And let's get into politics, (laughs) technology, community, and democracy. This idea that what what technology is doing to our personal politics, to our political communication, and our politicians and political systems. What what is your research uh, sort of uncovering in those areas that some of us may be acutely aware of or some may be trying to avoid? 
Right. So the way that our you know, political structure, our American democracy works is that we need that functioning social fabric. We need to be connected and we need to be collectively committed to a project that is America. And unfortunately, that doesn't necessarily mean that all actors in that project are committed to that. Uh, agenda. And unfortunately, our political activities have become in many ways sport, sport that has huge financial opportunities for people to engage in. And so there's a lot to be gained by seeding and encouraging division as opposed to trying to negotiate people to to bridge divides. Um, And technology has been a tool in that process because people in the political establishment and political infrastructures can actually speak to sub- uh, components of their communities, they can they can raise money in different ways, and we're seeing that, you know, corrosive nature play out online uh, in the same way that we're seeing it play out within you know face to face environments. It's simply that it's getting amplified and in a way that actually can be especially corrosive. Um, so combating it requires us to go back to actually building those social networks and you know finding bridges across those uh, divisions, which is not going to be an easy thing to do. When you say social network, I think the first thing people probably think of is Facebook. And now we have Twitter and Instagram and YouTube mm-hmm. and WhatsApp and Snapchat and things teenagers using that I haven't heard of yet. Uh, when you talk about social network or think about social networks of the future, how will they be the same or different than what we're using now? So I think it's important to separate out between social media, which, you know, that's where the term social network has become, and what we actually mean by all of the interpersonal connections that sociologists have historically referred to as a social network. You know, in the history of the United States, the military is one of our most important social networks, which is to say that people throughout this country have, you know, grown up and they've gone um, into a basic training uh, and they've met people from around the country and they've learned to connect across massive divisions in order to you know, keep up this project of America. And that's an extremely important way of building out that infrastructure. Um, Likewise, we see it within local communities. You see the idea of volunteerism, the idea of the university. All of these have built out those uh, networks. And so what's tricky about the social media environments is that many people who are building them thought that they would do the same kind of work as, say, the military. But there's a big difference between doing basic training with people um, versus, you know, sharing and liking each other's content. And so what ends up happening is that these technologies that we're seeing under the rubric of social media tend to come in a couple of different forms. They first allow you to connect with the people that you've already encountered face to face. And we you know, see that certainly on Facebook. Um, they also allow you to connect with people across a shared set of interests. We certainly have seen versions of that on you know, Tumblr or Twitter. Um, they also allow you to try to participate in a larger public. But that's where things get murky because none of those systems are meant to allow you to, say, be exposed to everyone in Detroit. There's still fragmentation. And that's where there's been a huge set of divisions between what allows you to connect across a graph of social connections and what allows you to connect to, say, a geography. Dana Boyd, you're here as part of the Future of Information series being put on by the Community Foundation for Southeast Michigan and the Knight Foundation. And a few weeks ago, the futurist Amy Webb was here, and she was in the studio as well for an interview that we did. And so I want to ask you a question that I asked her, basically. And that was what, when you see what's going on in the world with so many issues related to technology, 
how could we maybe have better prepared for those issues in the past and learn going forward? Part of it is, is I think that from an engineering perspective, we were extraordinarily naive about what we were building. But I think that there are other features to this where we're looking to technology without recognizing other facets uh, that are actually playing out and being amplified by technology. So let's take one of them, journalism. Uh, One of the things that we've seen since the 1980s is a significant decline in access to local journalism, which is why having podcasts and radio stations like this are so critical. With that decline in local journalism, we've lost a sense of trust within the very idea of the news. Um, and we look to this and say, oh, this must have declined because of technology. And we can we point to, you know, changes in the advertising ecosystem, changing in changes in, you know, the mechanisms of amplification. But one of the things that gets lost in that environment, and one of the things I think is particularly interesting given the history of Detroit, is the role of financiers um, in reshaping the news landscape. Huge numbers of financiers have come in and eaten up local news, um, usually to buy up their assets, often in the form of real estate, um, and then have bankrupted news. We've, We've lost news because of this. The reason I go to finance is that What we're seeing in technology right now, especially in the last 10 years, has been very much shaped by a form of capitalism. And there's many forms of capitalism, but a form of it that is rooted in venture capital, which suggests that the only thing that tech can and should do is amplify fast and furious. And so it's no longer about building sustainable communities or finding ways to actually connect people um, like you hear Mark Zuckerberg, you know, hoping for. It's really about how do we get as many people onto a service, you know, clicking on as many things as fast as possible. And that may not be sustainable. I think sometimes when I think about technology, I'm an expert on what I do myself. And and maybe this is something that other people think too, or maybe it's just me. But I think I am an expert on how I use technology and which platforms I use. But then there's this whole world of tech out there that's swirling and changing so fast and new things are coming at me. And how do I decide where I'm finding information? What are your recommendations for people in the few minutes we have left that really help us take control of our own technological online world in a positive way and then also really learn more about how to manage it and learn more about developments that are out there? I think with any tool, a lot of it requires reflecting back on what you're trying to achieve. Are you trying to connect with your friends and your peers? If that's the case, you look for very specific kinds of technologies where they might appear. When is your connection to your friends and your peers too much or you feel the need to check over and over and over again? Maybe it's a moment to take a break. I'm a big believer, you know, this is summertime. I'm a big believer of what I call email sabbaticals, which is to just say, I'm going to take a break from all connectivity for a week and go on actual vacation so that I can get bored again. And it's not because I don't love my friends, but there's something to be said about actively stepping back. And we don't leave a lot of room for that. We expect a level of always on and connectiveness. This is that moment where we have to come back and say, what is the practices that we want? What is the information we want to get access to? Another place where I watch a lot of people struggle is, you know, you start searching for something and then you end up, you know, four hours later having followed Wikipedia links upon Wikipedia links into a zone that you're like, wait, where did I end up? Um, and this is one of the things that I've, I've found as a gift to myself is write your questions down and separate them out so you don't get to look them up right away. If you have to look them up even 10 minutes later, you won't end up on the same path. 
Or if those questions are going to be particularly challenging for you, give them to your best friend and say, can you please look this up for me and tell me what you find? And so there's a, you know, these are some of the small little tactics, but it really is about that moment of reflection. When we have this conversation 10 years from now, how might it be the same or different? So I think that we're going to see a lot more visual media, a lot more, you know, we're already moving towards video and towards audio. I think we're seeing, we're going to see a lot more of that. Our mobile devices will be much more prolific. We will see a lot more, you know, technology that moves seamlessly across different, you know, sizes and scapes. I think there's a lot of dreams that we will, you know, have reached the Star Trek world of, of holographs and whatnot. I doubt we will be there. I think really what we're going to see the advances in this are going to be in terms of, you know, technologies affecting other sectors other than communications. I think communication is just going to go, you know, easier, more simpler, more more video oriented, more visual. We've talked a lot about the platforms and the technology itself, but what what is your best advice for making it all a little bit more human in our lives? I think we're living at a high time of anxiety in America, and I think that we owe it to ourselves, we owe it to our children to try to take a step back and try to be more you know, reflexive in our own practices and much more empathetic to people. Um, technology allows us to see people and to keep a distance from them. But I invite, you know, the listeners here to actually take a moment to try to understand other people, to look at their voices, to look at their tweets and see where they're coming from, their insecurities, their anxieties, and to appreciate them where they're at. Empathy could go a long way in this country right now.